This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, and welcome back to the podcast, Jarrell Garcia, black belt extraordinaire, and uh, we lost you out there to Pennsylvania and California, but now you're officially back on the East Coast. I'm back. I'm back. Back on the pack, a podcast, and back on the East Coast. <laughs> back on the podcast. Great to have you back on the podcast and back on the East Coast. So, how's everything been going since we uh, last caught up with you? Uh, it's been awesome. Uh, once again, especially being back on the East. Uh, been been back out here since August first when we flew back out here. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember if I, if I was officially Doctor Garcia last time we, we chatted, but uh, yep. yeah. So back. Back on these coasts uh, uh, in Rhode Island, never lived in the New England area, but honestly, it's been going even better than I could have ever imagined. Oh, I'm uh, so happy to hear that. Yeah, it's, uh, I know last time we spoke, I think you had just gotten your doctorate, uh, but you hadn't yet made the move, although I think you were planning on making the move over to uh, University of Rhode Island. Am I correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you are I now. Let me share my screen for a second. And for those that, that haven't uh, listened to the last podcast together, here I have your bio pulled up. But Jarrell Garcia, uh, born and raised in Northeast Brooklyn, um, and uh, also living out in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. Dr. Garcia is a native of East Coaster, who has literally worked from coast to coast, committed to promoting the value of research, not being limited to the publication of its words, but rather the impact it has on the world around us. Dr. Garcia has over a decade of experience with higher education, having worked at some of the top public institutions in, in the country, UC Berkeley, UCLA, and UC Santa Barbara. He has honed his application of leadership theory, organizational and personal management and strategic planning in the field and through the work on nationally recognized committees. With the belief and a proven application of professional development through a wellness and well-being lens, he has come to URI as the current Associate Director of Campus Recreation and a great addition to the Alan Sean Feinstein College of Education and Professional Studies. Dr. Garcia's research center uh, research centers around the development and application of transferable life skills across disciplines, fields, for example, sports and non-sport related careers, applying quantitative methodologies to a predominantly qualitative topic. He critically confronts the positive and negative biases that exist within sports leadership and professional development. As for his involvement with the field of higher education, Dr. Garcia has presented at numerous conferences, currently serves as the chair of the NIRSA Leaders in Collegiate Recreation Research and Assessment Board, and will hold a seat on the URI Mental Health JED Task Force. He has his Doctorate of Education, his MS of Sports Management, and his BS of Sports Administration from uh, Drexel, East Strasburg, and Lock Haven, respectively. And of course, and I'm adding this in, Jarrell is a 10th planet black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Wow. <laughs> that sounds oh, impressive. Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> that about. sounds so impressive. <laughs> <laughs> what a phenomenal career uh, track. And I know you're just getting started, uh, sure. but you have put in the years, you know, decade plus of, of work, education, schooling, research, and you've been, um, you know, sharpening the saw, as they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back. Yeah, no, it's awesome, man. What a what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your hype man anytime. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe before uh, before we jump into the new kind of stuff, just give us a little reminder on how you got started in jujitsu. For sure. Um, so I played soccer my whole entire life, and then went off to college, Lock Haven University. wasn't playing uh, soccer anymore. And I have an older brother who's in the military army. And when he came to visit, we did what most siblings do, which was fight and wrestle. And he had gotten me into a rear naked choke and he's like, I'm gonna put you to sleep. And I was like, that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> so then he put me to sleep. <laughs> and I was like, what, oh my goodness. So that, I think that was around uh, 2008, 2009. So I went back to Lock Haven. Um, they had an MMA gym there. Um, so I was starting off doing MMA training, but really gravitated towards the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu aspect. Um, so after about a year, year and a half of training MMA, uh, I 
purely focused on jiu-jitsu. So after that, I started driving 45 minutes three times a week to Penn State in central Pennsylvania uh, to train uh, jiu-jitsu. Uh, so that was in 2010, strictly focusing on Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And then I met uh, between that time, I didn't graduate until 2012. So I was just bouncing between gyms every time I'd go home. And then a 10 planet opened up in uh, about 2012, 2013, 10 planet Allentown opened up with um, Jam Holland and Zach Maslany. Yeah. Uh, so in 2013, Zach. yep. Yeah. I love Zach. Olivia was the officiant at my wedding. Uh, fun fact. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, so he I, does I, it all, this guy. He promotes yeah. tournaments. He runs gyms. He manages fighters. <laughs> he referees Rise yep. Invitational. He officiates yep. weddings. I mean, come on. It's unbelievable what this guy can do. Is there anything modern, that guy can get to? Modern day renaissance, man. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 the, that's the path we're on. Uh, so I like stopped by the gym before leaving for LA. And I was like, I'm going to be back. And they're like, sure. You know, we, we hear that all the time. And I went, did a quick LA trip, came back, and have been with 10 Planet ever since 2013. So, yeah. This actually this week, actually, holy crap! I just noticed uh, today uh, marks ten years purely focusing on jujitsu. Wow, that's uh, with with Ten Planet, uh, with 10 thirteen Planet. years total of training jujitsu. So thirteen years total, but ten years uh, specifically with Ten Planet. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, where did you Where did you get your black belt? Was it in Pennsylvania or in uh, California? Uh, in Pennsylvania, yeah. So I came back home during the pandemic. Uh, came back home and was dropping by Bethlehem. And uh, the the story that I now know was uh, Eddie was asking around like, so is Drell a black belt yet? <laughs> they were like, no, the pandemic and everything. So uh, it's funny hearing the story after the fact. So they're like, hey, he's coming home. Like we, he's he's been with Bethlehem since 2013. Um, every time he would come back home, he'd always been with us. So we'd love to give him his black belt. So. Yeah, to, back in 2020 is when I got my black belt. So I have a, a question to frame this conversation, but I don't want you to answer it just yet. I want you to first tell us all about your new role, and you've, you've had a lot of advanced thinking. But the question that I want to get to is how your study of Brazilian jiu-jitsu has been influencing your work you know, uh, on the college campus through the lens of recreation, through the lens of sport, helping people, you know, working. So before you get to that question, I would love if you could just give us a little uh, deep dive into what it is that you're doing right now. For sure. So, yeah, so I kind of have two roles on the University of Rhode Island campus. I'm the associate director of campus recreation. So I oversee the entire department underneath the director. Um, so campus recreation includes the general general recreation and gyms that you see on any college campus. So the oversight of those facilities, but that also includes aquatic programming, uh, intramural sports, club sports. So we have over 20 club sport teams, um, group fitness classes, wellness initiatives, um, a marketing department. Um, so I think all in all, we have about 350 student employees. Uh, I think it's about 12 professional employees. Um, yeah, so I'm in charge. I'm in charge of all of all those components there, and the strategic planning and strategic planning and budgeting of all, of all that. Um, not on the day to day basis, but the how we're, how are we going to make sure we're sustainable over the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, and plan planning on all that. Uh, so when I'm not doing that, I'm also a professor within the College of Education. So I teach at the grad level, uh, research classes, um, and leadership courses as well. So that's my current role. Um, which coming from California, I was working at University of California, Santa Barbara. My staff is actually smaller than it would have been if I stayed there. But honestly, that's what I wanted. I wanted a smaller institution because I knew I was going to be starting to teach and teaching 300 plus students. There's no way I can have that direct one-on-one impact contact or be able to best serve them. So I was actually looking to go to a smaller institution where I know I'd be able to make an actual direct and personal impact. Um, So I'm, I actually have, it's not as stressful as it was in the other school, even though I'm in a now higher position. Um, so yeah, that's my current one I've got going on. That sounds like a, a great, great fit. And uh, I played club sports at school, club lacrosse and um, was on the ski team in college. Um, very competitive, you know, club. Oh team. yeah. It was great. We took it very seriously. We played in great leagues. I lasted a couple of years. And then I also had a, my own team. I was at a men's lacrosse team that I was, uh, that I started 
but um, those those are really great experiences for me, and uh, I love playing at that level. Very very exciting. Well, yeah, and once again, at the club level, they still have like national championship games, regional mm-hmm. championship games, and everything. So it's yeah, it's a, definitely a big thing and awesome experience. I remember that there was a. I went to Northeastern University in Boston, and I remember there was a jujitsu room. They they practice in the wrestling room of the student center, but I never once did it. Uh, I always was like, I should go try that. I should go do it, and and I never did it until I graduated and came back to New York. But I wonder, do you have? Is there a jujitsu program at URI? There is a club that's not uh, directly overseen by our department. Yeah. So, but that's my. My biggest thing has been here has been first I want to make sure that I get to learn my staff right and what what their goals are and I kind of have a, a thought process on that but then I'm going right where are we going both as each one of our individual programmers but us as a department but that's definitely one of my my biases is so do we have the space to to do this so definitely personal bias and uh, my jujitsu influence does sway some of my uh, conversations i mean can you imagine the resource that these kids these college kids have at their disposal right now that they have a 10th planet black belt (laughs) right on campus every single day i mean they're going to be kicking themselves i'll tell you a quick little story um in my early years of training brazilian jiu-jitsu starting back in 2009 probably from about 2009 to maybe about 2013 14 i'm estimating uh my sensei nardu debra who's a black belt under Henzo and John Danahar would often bring his friends and training partners into the dojo. And most famously, we had a guy named uh, Harry St. Ledger, Harry and his twin brother, Gary St. Ledger on the Olympic judo team at the time. And they were Olympic alternates and they were, and they were jujitsu black belts, very high level wrestlers. And he would say, I'm bringing these guys to you and all you have to do is show up to their class. And routinely we were such a small academy that only one or two or even three people would come and take the judo. And one time I remember in a class with now UFC uh, welterweight and teammate of mine, Randy Brown, Harry Mm -hmm. St. Ledger. And it was just the three of us training wrestling takedowns. And I'm, and my sensei would always say to us, one day you're going to look back and you're going to say, I can't believe I got to train with those guys. So then Harry leaves New York and he moves out to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And where does he start training? Well, he starts training at uh, Jackson Wink. And now fast forward all these years later and every single UFC fight, this guy's cornering somebody or someone else. He's like the most unbelievable coach. Yeah. And so I say to all of you URI students, look what you got over there. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to just take things for unknowingly, I'll say, unknowingly take things for granted because you don't realize how much of an asset it can be or, or a service to your future self. Yeah. But, Same thing yeah. right now with uh, like the new wave jujitsu guys in, in my association and all these years of having John Donahar there. Yeah. And I would try, you know, to before COVID, I would try to go down at least a couple times a year, always try to get, I used to like take my birthday off and like have a day of, of myself. And yep, I, would, yeah. I lived in the city, but I went to Long Island. So I'd stay in the city and I'd go to the morning classes. And then I never expected that it would be over. And then COVID hits and it just changed everybody's life so much. Yeah. Like I think I, did, I actually think I just recently made a post or maybe I was just thinking about it. Like you don't know when it's going to be the last time you do something or experience something. Right. And it's, and it's that same thing. It's like we yep. kind of just you just go about life and it's like, oh, that, that, that that's over. Right. Or um, how amazing that time of the, that life of that time of that life was. Um, but yeah, that's that's also what makes it so awesome when you are able to experience those things. And now it's no longer there in a way. It's uh, I'm so happy that you brought that up because it's uh, I've experienced that and it just, it happens so fast and, and you don't know it's coming. And then all of a sudden it happens. And now, and I know you had a, a child, you have one, right? Yeah. Just one little boy. One boy. I think we yeah. had a boy, you know, our, our boys, my, it was my second year first around the same time, about a little more than two years ago now. Yep. And you know, you go into this parenting phase of your life and the kind of like the friend phase of your life. I'm not going to say it's over, but it changes where your whole life centers around your friends and your social life. And then all of a sudden now it centers around being a parent. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. 
Like I was already not the most social person. <laughs> Get me one-on-one and I, and I could talk, but now even more so I'm like, all right, going home, see my little guy, go to the gym, come back home yeah. for my little guy. So yeah, most definitely. What, uh, what kind of lessons have you learned being a father? Oh, that's such a good question. And surprisingly, I haven't really thought about that, but, um, one, I'll say I was surprised at how, and maybe this is a humble brag, but I was surprised at how easy it came to me because I didn't grow up with like a lot of kids around me or anything along those lines. Um, so I was like, oh, how am I, am I going to be awkwardly, you know, like when maybe like your wife gives you her purse, you're like, how do I hold this thing? I thought that's how I'd be like, all right, do I just, how do I hold this, this, this being? Um, but literally as soon as he was born, it was just like automatic. Um, so I think the biggest thing that I'll say learn or appreciate is that I'm, I guess I'm learning. I'm really getting to learn the type of environment and lifestyle that my wife has through our son. Yeah. Right. Which has been good because once again, they kind of reflect the things you're doing, whether you're aware of it or not. Right. So they'll kind of bring to light some things like, Oh, wow. I didn't notice that. I, talk loud or that I use my hands when I talk or that I sit on the edge of the couch or that I, um, when I come in the, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I use deodorant and ask for lotion. And now he's doing the same thing, like these little things to big things that um, they will show you or that you will learn that you do. So I guess that's probably the biggest thing is I'm learning about myself through this little mini cuter version of myself. <laughs> Uh, that's, so, that's so right. You know, your kids, if there's a habit that you don't like about yourself and you don't even know it, they will show it to you. Yeah. And, uh, there's that great quote. It says like, what annoys you about other people will lead you to a better understanding of yourself. And they will, they will show it right back to you. And, uh, my wife often says that, you know, I work with my father and sometimes mm -hmm. when he's gets very frustrated with me, my wife and my wife will over here, she'll say, he's not talking to you. He's talking to himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. Hear his mirror. Yep. Yeah, that's so funny. Cause yeah. And a small little uh, thing, like my wife is five, two. So I'm literally a foot taller than my wife. I'm six, two. So oftentimes she'll have to like climb on things to, <laughs> to get him. And so what did my son start doing? Climbing on things to grab stuff. And she's like, I don't know where he got this from. And I'm like, really? No idea. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I have to climb uh, the, the fridge to grab something. So I have an inkling it may be someone else in this household. <laughs> well, you are from Canarsie, Brooklyn. Yep. Uh, I'll always remember that because that's where my mom is from. And my mom will often say, my mom's also 5'2", and she'll always say, and I'm 6'2", just like you, and my mom will always say, get over here, I need your height. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I need, yeah, literally, I would say Yeah, yeah, conversely. Yeah, but I'm, I'm like, so, I'm so grateful to, number one, my sensei, but also to jujitsu, because I feel like, you know, not only in business jujitsu, this podcast, but jujitsu has helped me become a, such a better father, friend and listener because you know i always feel like i'm doing jujitsu when i'm dealing with these things in life and yeah. sometimes you know you'll watch the things that kids do and it can be an immediate cause of infer you know of, of um of annoyance don't do that no 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 yeah. and i you know i hear my friends go after their kids and it's like no 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 and I, and I just like think back to jujitsu of like the erratic nature of like being untrained and how jujitsu is so yeah. counterintuitive to, to life. You know, someone's on top of you, you feel like you should push them off with all yep. your might. But as of course, we know that's the opposite of what you want to do in order to yeah. get somebody off of you. And so sure. same thing with kids. Uh, I actually, not that, not that I think parenting is easy, but when I heard you say that you were surprised at how easy it came to you, I, I feel the same way, but I, I, I acknowledge that I've learned all of this jujitsu, right? And so my sensei would always say about parenting, the kid is going to be eating the spaghetti. They pick up the spaghetti. They look at the spaghetti. They look at you. They throw the spaghetti on the floor. And you have one of two options. You could either yell at them and scream at them, no, don't do that to the spaghetti. Or you just pick up the spaghetti, throw it in the garbage, and you look at the kid and say, eat. You know, and yeah, so yeah, yep, exactly. I'm often so surprised at how much I've learned about parenting and life just by um, attending jujitsu classes. Oh my, yeah, like, <clears throat> and then you kind of nailed it in regards to the 
reacting versus responding because the natural reaction, right, which is not as controlled, is literally just a, hey, right, to which they just see a reaction, right? They're not fully processing good, bad, everything in between just yet, or as, as they get older, obviously they do. So it's like, oh, reaction, let me keep doing that, right? So being able to literally just like, okay, that happened, almost in slow motions, like, and there it goes. <laughs> you are like, all right, nope, we don't do that. And they're like, oh, well, that wasn't that fun. I guess I'll move on to something else. Um, but yeah, the, the one, I remember seeing a post, this is probably months ago of, um, you know, parents, sometimes you'll hear parents say like, oh, parenting isn't hard. And people are like, what? These parents aren't parenting right if they don't think it's hard. And what I think, when people say that, what they're getting to is we oftentimes confuse or try to use these words interchangeably of like hard and bad, mm. right? So when people hear, or when people are like saying parenting is hard, they're like, no, it's not bad because oftentimes, unfortunately, what people think is hard, they also think is bad, right? And I was like, that's why I believe, and that's my only interpretation of what I think people are trying to say. It's like, well, no, it's not bad. It's like, well, no, it is hard, but it's not bad. Um, but yeah, it's so in that case, I don't find parenting hard in the sense of it being bad, but it is challenging, right? It is difficult, but so is like a leg workout, right? And that's how I look at it. It's like, well, I planned to do this. I planned to be a parent and I knew it was going to be challenging, difficult, um, need motivation, need to be disciplined at times. But that's what I signed up for, right? So that's why I like myself, my people will never make complain about it, not because it's not hard, but it's because it's like me complaining about a leg workout that I chose to do. You yes. know what I mean? Um, once again, comparing kids to a leg workout, but, <laughs> but, but that's how I process it. It's like, well, yeah, it's hard, but that's what I expected. I wanted it to be somewhat challenging. I expected that because I know that's also where you develop both yourself and develop them through those hard challenges, hurdles, and everything else. So I, I think that's, it's perfectly said. And it's, um, I also think that it's about, and I often say this to my team members at work, you're putting in hard work and if you're getting good results, then it feels easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably, yeah, I'm probably fortunate. If, to... you're, if you're putting in a lot of work and you're getting a lot of resistance, it doesn't mean you're not working hard. It just means that you might not be doing the right thing. Yeah, and so we can show up to jujitsu endlessly, but if we we're not accepting of the lesson, if we're not accepting of the technique, if our ego is standing in the way of being able to receive it, and before I had kids, I was reading all these baby books, so many baby books. I love the baby books. My wife and I read a bunch together. My favorite one was called uh, "Bringing Up Bebe." It was about like <laughs> a French approach to parenting and how they. They basically, if I could summarize that book in one way, it was that you have to have a life. You know, you have to continue yep. to live your life and the children are a part of your life. And I think Correct. a lot of times what I see with parents, some parents, and this is their choice, yep. is that they make the children their life. the star of the show. Yeah. And I think that's the, a lot of the times when I see it being hard, like you're describing. It's very, yeah. very hard. Well, it's the... It's, and it's 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 very te not only tempting but natural in many ways to put the baby's needs first makes sense right but then also put their wants next and then you put your needs so that's where you'll hear oftentimes parents like I haven't showered in four days it's like you gotta shower <laughs> yes <laughs> or I haven't eat, I haven't eaten or I haven't slept or I haven't it's like those are critical things for you to be able to give that child your best right you know same thing to training if you're not sleeping right, eating right, and a variety of other things, training will be a lot more challenging, right? And it'll be a lot more difficult for you to even learn and be able to adapt during that time if you're not doing all those other things, you know what I mean? So it's once again that yeah. holistic approach and it's not, you need to be selfish in order to serve people yeah. in, in, in certain capacities. Because if, you, if you're completely depleted, I have nothing to give you. That's right. And I think it's about, you know, creating a very good foundation for yourself and keeping good balance. Uh, there's no, it's no secret that when you're trying to become good at jujitsu, one of the things you're trying to do is break down their structures, take them off balance. And so, you know, creating this, you know, being able to do that and, and keep good balance for yourself in your own life and, and create structure in your own life that helps you become a better parent. It's, I just, I love these metaphors. I know that you do too, because I watch all of your videos. Um, you do some great, uh, we call them mat chats in in my dojo. Do you have, do you have a name for what you, you do in your, 
so uh, content making. I know, and I, I have so many people telling me to get back to it, but um, but yeah, literally, like people would call them Matt Chats or Jujitsu Talks is ultimately what I ended up landing on. Oh, right, landing you have a, you have a a, a a secondary project, Jujitsu Talks, right? Yeah. Well, and it's I was like, all right, I'm gonna. That's probably my biggest weakness is consistency of social media because I struggle with with it. I was like, all right, I'm gonna do it, and I was consistent. And then I was like, all right, I'm going back to my main page. <laughs> so it's like I need, I almost like need a person who will force me to to do certain things. Um, but yeah, so that that's all we ended up calling. It's like, oh, the jujitsu talks is what what, what I ended up uh, doing. Yeah. So yeah, you you have your jujitsu talks, and in my my dojo we call them mat chats. Okay. Yep. But yeah. you took your philosophy of jujitsu talks, and you've been working on not only having um, a perspective of jujitsu because that's one aspect of who you are, but you have a very 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 deep um, bench of you know of skills and perspectives mm -hmm. that that transcend just jujitsu, and you're also um, a professor. And so yeah. you've begun to, um, you've begun to talk about things that are outside of jujitsu also on your on your main page, and and that's something that you were very honest to the community of people that you're talking to, people that follow you, and you said I'm going to try something new. So tell me about it. That's I, ultimately that's when I hit you up again. I was like, let's talk about this on the podcast. Yeah, no, I, honestly, I, I've been struggling with that for years because I'm naturally a very private person. Once again, get me one on one, or I consider this one on one. I'm I can, I can talk for hours, um, especially if we have dinner or wine. Um, but the putting out that. of my, my life, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I keep my life very uh, compartmentalized, right? So there are people who, even family members, who literally thought like jujitsu was my primary job because hmm. they like saw me on social, they saw me on uh, social media and they're like, oh, I didn't know he was a professor and doing all this other stuff because that's how separate I keep my life. And, but when I talk to people and I start mentioning all these other pieces, like, oh yeah, I'm a professor. Oh yeah, I got my chef coat in 2012 or, oh yeah, I try my They're like, why don't you ever talk about this stuff? Or in a more negative way, if I get into a little back and forth with someone and I'll mention something about statistics and they're like, what are you an expert in that? I'm like, well, yeah, actually I am a mess, an expert in that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dissertation was about the psychology of athletes and identity. And, and they're like, Oh, well, I didn't know. I'm like, yeah. So I, I <laughs> so I, I, once again, it's probably been two to three years of me thinking about like, okay, what, when should I start sharing more of, of myself, which is a little bit more vulnerable. Um, yeah, and I was like, you know, I, I finally started talking to more people, and I was like, you know, what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Start sharing more parts of myself because I think that one, it forces me in my to be uncomfortable, which jujitsu, right? So it forces me to not be in my comfort zone, but also I take value and it feeds my ego when I think of it that way. When I am able to play a small role in when I'm able to play a small role in the development of others or broadening the perspective of others that fills my cup. Yeah, you know what I mean? So the fact that I may be able to have a post not jujitsu specific that maybe makes someone want to train jujitsu or I have a post that makes them want to take their professional life more serious or once may get them motivated to start reading or whatever it may be. Um, I, I was like, all right, let's, let, let me actually dive into it and double down on it. So, and be consistent with it being the biggest thing. So that's why I, I started like, all right, let's, let's do this. So. What's your, what's your daily, what, so yeah, walk me through your day. Like I love, I love talking to people about their kind of daily routine. Like how have you introduced the consistency on content into it? Is it something that you have, uh, I'm going to do it every day at 10 AM or is it like, oh no, I got to make content. Yeah, no. So, uh, I probably should have, actually, I won't say I should have a schedule because, uh, that's just maybe not how, what's, what, what consistency would look like for me, but um, in regards to the social media piece, I go about my day and how my brain works. I naturally just wander and have these ideas that pop up in my head. And albeit uh, a book that I'm reading or a thought that just pops in my head that I convert into a Twitter post or a, a jiu-jitsu talk slash mat chat that I had earlier in class or that I'm thinking about going into class, I'll just make sure I actually post it. And because my challenge, if anything, and I think I actually made a quick story about it is I have so many thoughts. <laughs> the challenge for me is just grabbing one and then putting it out there. 
right? So that's where I'd find myself where I'll just constantly have these thoughts. And I'm like, oh, I should post that one. I should record that one. I should share a story about that one. And then it would just never happen. So now I'm just forcing myself because once again, the I definitely don't have a, any short uh, shortness of content in my brain. <laughs> it's just a matter of catching it and then putting it out there. So that, that's been more so the consistent thing of making sure I actually just execute. We're very, very similar, you know, in this whole topic. That's probably why we like talking last time and keep in touch. But uh, I was thinking about that exact thing last week. And I wrote a poem about it, believe it or not. I've been writing poetry. I know that might sound oh, weird to some people, but no, I've been writing it. a lot of poetry lately. And I wrote a poem about that exact topic, about that. And I'm, and I'm going to give you my little cheat code on this in a second. Yeah, yeah. But I have all of these ideas. I'll be in my car. I'll be jogging. I'll be on the Peloton. I'll be doing jujitsu. Something will pop yep. into my head and I'll be like, oh, shit, that's great. That's good stuff. And then I'll go sit down to want to put it down on paper or write. And I'll be like, oh, what was I thinking about? <laughs> yep. yep. But um, I always carry around this journal with me. I've been jotting down notes. And as we've been talking, and I, and I always, you know, I have, this is prop, this is number 23. I, I number all of them. So let's just see on the oh, volume 23. And I, I, and, I, and I have a very, very, very good method for how to accomplish my work. I use a dot matrix system, but. Sometimes I just jot down the little things. And what the poem I wrote was about, I'll send it to you offline. I don't know if I'm ready oh, to yeah, publish please. this yet. <laughs> but it was about how impactful chat GPT and AI has been in my life mm. because I've been able to take basically the bullet point versions of things in my life and yeah. have it transcribe it perfectly, beautifully, yeah. poetically. And so it's allowed <laughs> me to write poetry and music and books. And like, I've just been polishing off all of these ideas. And, uh, and that's what the poem, yes. is about. the poem is about the relationship between humans and AI. It's very poetic. It doesn't like say it that way, but I'll send it to you offline. You'll let me know what you think. You well, are a professor. Do, after but, all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, and that's, that's truly, and I, and I'm very open as I talk more so like in regards to like my, I guess, professional side, I'm very open with all the staff I supervise of like, here's my weakness. It's like, I, I'll throw out ideas and, please don't take all of them seriously because <laughs> some of them are literally just pop up in my head and some of them are absolute gold, but other ones are literally, that's just where my brain went. Yeah. Um, but feel free if it is something we want to put energy towards to like lock me down and be like, Hey, we actually want to take action towards it. Cause then I'll be able to once again, come up with a plan system uh, and all the logistics behind it, but it's getting me down and then getting me to finalize the final piece. Uh, but the brainstorming and then coming up with the system to make it all work. I got you, but the, Hey, we're going to go actually go ahead. And then the final execution, that's where I need, I need a number one or a number two to get me on that. But, but yeah, no. And I love the journal. I, I've, I need to, I really enjoy writing out what I think because I'm surprised by it hmm. because of the fact that as, as you just said, like I'll completely forget. So I think by like doing journaling, I'll literally be reading it and it almost seem as though someone else wrote it because I'm like, wow, I forgot I had that thought. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, it happens to me all, all the time. <laughs> well, that's so very, very good. So you mentioned, uh, you know, working with your staff, uh, mm -hmm. you've pursued advanced degrees, both your master's and your doctorate. Uh, you're putting that to good use now and you're, you know, you're working with teams. Like, what, what, are, what are some of the things from your education that you've taken over to your profession now, you know, as, you know, working with students as either a professor or as a leader, someone who's, who's leading teams, what kind of things are you working on? Yeah. So, uh, and you actually, it's kind of a, a highlight or something I'm always drawn to in that kind of statement of my, I guess my bio, if you will, mm -hmm. the, and I forget exactly how that part was phrased. They like quoted me from something, but the, the value of research, not just being in the, the publication of it, but in the actual application, right? Because it's very easy in the academic world to just publish research for the sake of publishing research, right? Um, but when I was being interviewed here from the side of academics, I even told them that, I was like, just so you know, if you're looking for someone to just publish research and not work with students, um, I'm, I'm probably not your guy, right? Because you can literally become a professor and teach maybe one class a year. 
right? Um, that, that's heavily valued if you're able to do research, bring funding to the school, but also bring notoriety to the school. So I was like, mm. just so you know, that's what you're looking for. I, I'm not going to be that guy. I will produce research. I will be presenting at conferences and stuff along those lines, uh, workshops, uh, doing consulting work. But I want to know that there are consequences to the research I put out. You, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I talk about this thing of like consequential knowledge. I like having a high consequence to my lack of knowledge or my actual knowledge I have, right? So in jujitsu, if you have a professor or coach who does not know the actual art, the consequence to their lack of knowledge is their students may get seriously injured, hmm. right? So jujitsu is a sport where as a professor, as a teacher, as a coach, you have a high level of consequential knowledge, right? So for me, the same thing applies for theories and all these other types of concepts of, great, if I do a paper, but I want to know that the words in that paper, if someone were to apply it, they will get positive results, right? And so that that's a big thing for me. So that's probably the biggest thing that I took from doing my work uh, or from doing my research rather is I want to produce work that if a student, if a professional were to read it and try to apply it to their life, apply it to their team, apply it to... Um, their athletes, they will find success. Hmm. Uh, because what oftentimes happens is, albeit uh, politically or what what have you, we will hear research studies and then we then try to apply it into the real world and they fall apart. Hmm. Right. So that's a big thing for me is I don't want to just be a researcher or a professor. I want to know that what I tell you is going to actually work in the real world. Yeah. We spoke about last time, I think, uh, the book Thinking Fast and Slow, the influence on us both and, um, you know, the work of uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, uh, two, you know, incredible economists and thinkers. Is this, you know, is this the kind of career that you want to have too, or you have this kind of impact? Have you thought about writing a book? Yes, I have thought about writing a book. <laughs> is it being written? Maybe. <laughs> it, it, it has, yes. So yeah, 100%. I, I'll say I will write a book. Um, similar to years ago when I said, I will become Dr. Garcia before this age. I will get my book. Yeah, I will 100% write a book. Probably multiple books of, of that. Um, I hope so. I hope so. What, what kind of things do you, would you, what kind of areas you want to focus on? So definitely sports. Um, I, 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 lo I love the, there's a quote of uh, sport as a microcosm of life, right? So what you see in life, you can oftentimes see in sport. So I really like the idea of like really diving into that and kind of bring it down. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but just bring it down where everyone feels like, oh yes, that I feel that, I see that, I, I'm a yeah. part of that. Um, because it is so ingrained into, I always like, used to say, like whether you love sports or despise sport, despise sports, it will impact your life. Oh yeah. Even it's if you go, I, I've never played a sport, I've never touched the ball, it will impact your life, right? If you're living in a major city, well, there you go. You likely have a professional team that will impact the property taxes. It'll impact uh, the amount of hotels you have in your area, right? It will have an impact on your life, whether you love sports or don't love sports. So. I'd love to touch on that piece. I'd love to do something specifically for athletes and dealing with um, retirement slash the ending of their sport identity because that's what my research was specifically on. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to do one at some point about relationships <laughs> as I make a huge swing there. Yeah, uh, no. leadership. Yeah, there's there's a handful of topics, but definitely sport focus. But then definitely uh, leadership is yeah. another big one, and then. Uh, relationship. I, I, love, I love both of those topics. And uh, I pulled up a quote over here. This is from my own real estate website. Um, we own my, my family, my father and I, in partnership, uh, five golf courses. My dad loves golf. I like golf. Jiu-Jitsu is my love. Golf is his mm. love. But these have been fantastic investments. But I added this uh, page to our website for him. And it says, for those of you who are listening and not watching, golf is the closest game to the game we call life. You get bad breaks from good shots. You get good breaks from bad shots. But you have to play the ball where it lies. And oh, it's yeah. a, just a, it's a great quote. It's, a, it's, a, it's universal in jiu-jitsu too. Same thing. Yeah. You, you do a technique perfectly, it gets shut down. You do a technique yep. sloppily, and all of a sudden you're on the, you're on the choke. Uh, yep. So <laughs> it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah, I think it was uh, Brandon McCarran out of, uh, or BMAC out of uh, Tim Planet Decatur, Alabama, 
uh, I saw him talking to his students and he said something along the lines of like, I, all if you compete enough times, you will, he thinks it's important for you to experience all these, which is preparing the best you can and then going out there and losing, preparing the best you can going out there and winning, and then also not preparing the best you can and going out there and winning and also preparing not as best as you can and going out there and losing. Cause those all are very different. Once again, it's great when you work hard and get the, get the outcome you wanted, but also part of life is working really hard and not getting the outcome you were hoping for. Yes. Right? And so sometimes you won't work that hard and things will work out. Also times you won't work hard and things will work out. So, so, you, so it's, that is that kind of uh, things that are within our control, outside of our control type aspects of life that everyone should come to peace with and uh, learn to feel comfortable navigating. Like it's, <laughs> it's one of the most important things to to learn and one of the hardest to internalize and hardest to teach because as I often tell my team, we could execute perfectly and then yep. COVID hits. There's yep. nothing you could do. Government sends you yep. home, go back to your house, shut down all your stores. It does, it's nothing you could do. And yep. we could have a crappy week and it's just, there's just nothing that sometimes you just have, you just have to keep doing your best no matter what. And you just like, right. like the quote said, and like you just said, perfect, perfect. And I, and I want to just go back to one thing you said before. Um, and I want to give my dad a shout out on this in 2005, my dad, or excuse me, in 2003, my dad started selling his family business, which was the home healthcare. My grandfather started that business in 1955. My dad ended up selling it in 2003. When my dad was selling that business, it ended up taking two years to sell. And in that time is when he started the website I just showed, Chart Organization, which is our family's commercial real estate and investment business. And his thinking on that was he didn't even want to take a single day off. He wasn't retiring. He was just pivoting in his career from home yeah. health care to, at the time, commercial real estate and now uh, investing across a whole spectrum of investments. But... He, in 2003, he went out and got a new office. He built a very, a small staff. He went from having 7,000 employees to having two employees at his commercial real estate business. But he, he said the day that he was done, that he closed one door in his life, the other one was already open and started. Yep. And I'm interested to know about your work on it and how, where your research has brought you. Because uh, I remember speaking to Nick Kumulatos on, the po on this podcast and he wrote about this in his book and his journey. And I'm not sure if you know who, who Nick is, but he's a, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. I think he's either a blue belt or a purple belt now. But he was a, a Marine Raider, MARSOC, Marine mm. Special Operations Command. And he was suicidal when he left the Marines because they made every decision for him. He yep. didn't know what to do. And when he left, he thought that there would be some path, but it was nothing. Go. It was just bye. Yep. And so uh, I'm very interested. What are some of your high level thoughts on, you know, transitioning, making this transition in sports? Yeah. So, the, yeah, that's literally like a big crux of, uh, of my research, which is essentially people face like an identity crisis. Right. And so we know athletes oftentimes face it, but once again, very common in military, but even for a more common one, like, and I'm going to say mothers, just because they tend to be the caregivers more often, Mothers will oftentimes face when they're empty nesters, right? So when you're assuming a role for an extended period of time, right? And you can go through one of two different types of transitions out of that role. One's considered a normative, a nor normal, but a normative transition or a non-normative, right? So looking at athletes, right? If I'm, let's take your traditional NFL career. So let's say I started playing football at the age of five years old, right? And I make it all the way to playing at the college level. And let's say I even do all four years of college. And then I get drafted and I have a really long career, which is about five years. Right. But you know what? Let's say I have an extraordinary career. I have a 10, I have a 10 year career. I'm 31 years old. So from the time I was five years old to 31, so 26 years, I have been football. My friends have been football. My social circles have likely been football if I have not been working all these other areas of my life. Right. Yeah. Um, so then when I'm done, once again, if I've not been working on these other areas of life, who am I now? Right. Who, who am I now? Right. So where the normative and non-normative comes in is if you choose to retire, so I go, you know what, I'm hanging up. You can start planning those next steps oftentimes, right. Compared to the player who once again gets drafted 
And then a year later, they get cut from their team and no other team wants to pick them up, right? So if you get injured, that ends your career or you get cut and no one picks you up, that's considered a, a non-normative, a non, a not normal or non-normative transition. So people who have those non-normative transitions tend to struggle even more, right? So once again, we can see that in the military, if you get injured, right, and you're not able to return to service, right, that's where you'll see oftentimes an unfortunate dark spiral because it's like, I didn't get to choose my ending, right? It just ended. I wasn't even able to prepare and start setting these things up in place, right? So one, that's why a big part of my research is uh, trying to work with coaches. I'm literally going to be in Alabama next month doing a workshop with um, United States coaches to set up systems so that their athletes are developing as holistically as possible, still focused on the game because as a coach, you need them to win, but developing as holistically as possible so that whether they get injured, which is outside of all of our control, or they choose to retire, they know that their identity isn't just tied to this one thing. It's also tied to all other aspects of their life. So um, yeah, that's a, that's a very common thing, a very unfortunate thing, but a very common thing. And it's due to, once again, all of our identity being tied into that structure. Or once again, if you think military, those are the people I live, sleep and eat with and protect and they protect me. And then I go back into the civilian world and those people aren't there anymore. Right. And I'm expected to just go about my day without that structure, without uh, those people right by my side. And it's like, well, once again, who am I? Um, so, yeah, so it's a very common thing. But once again, we see it not only in athletes, military, but even once again, parents or anyone that holds one specific role for an extended period of time. It's um, it's really important work that you're doing and exciting work. Um, I'm so interested in it because when you were saying research, I didn't really you know, fully appreciate it. So I'm, I'm glad that we, we went past it a little bit to understand what some of that research is. And it's a, yeah. such a, a, a relevant field today where sport is so widespread and it's such a big part of people's lives. And I think becoming an even bigger part of people's lives as people continue to train and, and uh, look at the explosion of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The mean age is probably in the thirties, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. people are, are continuing to, pick up new sports like cycling and running and after they finish team sports there. Yeah. So, but you know, I have a deeply personal story that just happened recently on the subject of, of injury and um, through COVID I was under an immense amount of stress, you know, trying to keep my businesses alive. Everybody yeah. in the world was under the same kind of stress, but I was feeling it and I would go on these walks with my wife in the morning and I'd say, I feel like crying I'm so emotional. I, I want a release. I, I just like, I was like, why can't I cry? I was like, I, yeah. I can't, I feel like I want to cry because mm -hmm. I'm so stressed, but I, I just couldn't. And I really only had cried a few times at like a funeral here or there. My grandma yeah. passed like, and it was like tears, but I hadn't had like a good cry. Yep. So now fast forward three years. This is about six weeks ago. And I was at jujitsu one night. And the past year has been a tough for me on jiu-jitsu. I blew out my uh, AC, uh, LCL and PCL last May, so a year and change ago. Yep. <clears throat> and I just never got back to where I was, but I'd been struggling, struggling to train. And then six weeks ago, I was in Uma Plata, and I went shoulder first, and I exploded my shoulder. It, it um, separated, and I tore my labrum. Yep. And when I hit the ground, I was like in shock. I got into my car, and it everything came out. Came out pouring out it i couldn't uncontrollable sobbing hysterical crying and the feeling was am i ever going to be able to do jujitsu at the level that i was at a year ago again that was what i was saying to myself you've put everything yep. into the sport it's been yep. 13 years you're a brown belt you know you're done yep. you want to you've been working towards this black belt are, is this it are you not going to be able to get yep. a black belt now and i couldn't i couldn't stop the crying and so when you're talking about your research and the, the idea of getting injured i'm just i've lived it I've lived it. Yeah. And I just want to give a little bit of a happy story to anybody who's listening to this for a little inspiration. I never fully recovered off of my LCL PCL in that year. I went, I, I stopped PT too soon. I went right back to jujitsu and it was a string of injury, injury, injury. I hurt my other knee. I hurt my shoulder. I could never, I never got back to it. I wasn't cross training. So when I, my shoulder exploded, it literally exploded. Um, it caused me to stop. It caused me to get back into PT. Yep. And now I've done 65 days of Peloton zone training, FTP zone training, functional uh, threshold power training on the Peloton bike. And I have transformed, you know, my cardiovascular system. 
like technically yeah. from the data. Yeah. I have, and I, I started training light last week in jujitsu and I could not believe the progress I had made not doing jujitsu. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just like, you know, I, I just, I wanted to tell that story for anybody who's listening, who has gone through a really, really hard time or a transition in their life due to injury that you can absolutely come back from it and redesign you know, how you think about your life and your sport. But, yeah, well, and there's definitely a, a, a balance. I think depending on which social circles you're in, uh, you can hear different narratives about like the kind of anti-hustle um, culture, right? That's, mm. that's the anti-hustle or anti-like burnout culture. But there's like a balance to it. You know what I mean? Like some people 100% should bring it back because actually they're, they're stifling their development by not taking breaks, right? So it's like, those are like, well, I don't need to sleep. Well, there's a very small population of people that can actually go with uh, three to four hours of sleep without actually seeing any type of negative uh, consequences. Um, so it's like, we need sleep, but also we need breaks to be able to better process and also maybe even come in with a new style or game plan or outlook, right? So you may be, by continuously training and not taking a break, or not allowing injuries to heal up properly, you may be creating a wall to your development and to your growth. Yes. You know what I mean? And what seems kind of counterintuitive is like, no, just do more jujitsu. That's how you get better, just doing more. And it's like, yes, yeah, yes. But also knowing when to take the break, when to kind of sit back um, will allow you to have maybe a better vision. It's like looking up too close to something, right? Why is that like you see the bigger picture and go, oh, that door was open the whole time? Oh, why haven't I just gone around? And that's how I now get over why you can't pass shield guard or whatever the, <laughs> the game may be. Yeah. Well, what a pleasure it is to reconnect with you again. I'm positive. We're going to do this many more times as uh, you develop your, um, your research and, and get, you know, gain new perspective and really, really grateful for your friendship and the friendships of the podcast. And uh, we have to get together this summer. Get a little training, happen. get a little dinner, get a little wine, as you mentioned. Uh, <laughs> I want to share my screen on on where everyone can find you. Uh, you are at Garcia Grip on Life on Instagram. Uh, I know you mentioned that you're not keeping it fully active right now, but you also have underscore Jujitsu Talks underscore, and there are some great content back there. Yeah. Uh, you post some really profound things. You have a great perspective on life, on sport. Um, on relationships. So I encourage everybody to, to follow along. Um, and, and thank you for all that you do. I really, really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm going to send you this poem that we had a similar thought. Oh, for sure. And this is over. And, uh, and if I could be a service to you in any way, you know where to reach me. Awesome. Really, really appreciate you. And yeah, we'll definitely do this many more times. And if you're ever in the New England area, like definitely make sure you hit me up, but we'll be yeah, cool. I connect absolutely. soon. I absolutely will. Have a great right. day and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.